Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining us is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, Richie. What's going on with you? Man, the last week or so, I have been jumping back to my roots, right? So back in the day, I was really heavy in the early 90s. I was really heavy into hip-hop and R&B and kind of slowly weaned away from that, you know, as the, the scene changed. And somewhere around the early 2000s, I kind of like, eh, I'm not digging this as much as, as I used to. Right. But this week... I kind of was trying to, I kind of got back into it a little bit and um, really wanted to, to see what was new out there. Um, and since this was the first streaming album to be nominated and won for a Grammy, I to some Chance the Rapper and his album, Coloring Book. And wow, is that good, dude? Why didn't you tell me how good that was? I haven't listened to it yet, man. I've, I've heard oh. a few songs off of it, but I haven't listened to the entire album yet. Wow. It's, it's, it's really good. And um, someone has... It hasn't really been in the rap game outside of a few Kanye albums here and there. Really enjoyed it. Um, so, of course, I then jump on to the new Childish Gambino, of which it's called Awaken My Love, and which it is not a rap album. <laughs> no, what is it? It's like a it's like this cool, soul, hip hop acoustic type, thing. type situation. Yeah, it's very funky. Okay. I mean, I'm and I'm, I'm listening to it, and I'm and I was kind of taken back to my childhood back in the in the late seventies. And it's got this funky vibe to it, man. And it's like, uh, you know, should I be watching what's happening right now? I don't know. <laughs> man. It's, nice. It, it, it's it's. She's like, watching good times, man. I know good time. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, man, where's Mr. Drummond? It's coming around here somewhere. It's some right. different strokes, right? Yep, yep. Um, really cool vibe. And of course, then I had to jump back onto the new Tribe Called Quest, which is just. It's mind blowing. I still haven't heard that one either, though. I heard that one came out a couple, couple, couple weeks couple ago. Months right? ago and, couple months ago. Couple months ago. Wow. Yeah, and I, I, I dig it. I dig it a lot. And you know, it just kind of felt, it felt like an old friend coming back, right? And <laughs> right. It's like, nice. where you been, man? How you doing? And you start catching up, and it's like, that's what that tribe called Quest album is. And of course, after that, had to plug in some Hamilton mixtape, which has a lot of these these newer folks on the album. But they're just kind of refreshing all the Hamilton stuff, which which I which I you know I dig. I'm totally nice. That's that. awesome so, too. So that was kind of you know like the last couple of days of what I've been bouncing back and forth from. But um, there's a lot of good stuff out there that I didn't know about. So and I'm, I'm expecting you, man. You're supposed to tell me all the new stuff because you you know you're young and all that. But you know me, <laughs> I don't know the new stuff. So no, I know about Chance stuff. the Rapper. I haven't heard albums. Like I I've been out of the albums game. I've been listening to a lot of singles lately. A lot of singles, a lot of you know, shuffled playlists on on um on Spotify type deal. But it's been a while since I've listened to an entire album top to bottom. Man, it makes it so easy. Spotify makes it so easy to to create mix. I remember back in the day we used to make create mixtapes, and you actually had to record it and you had double cassette tech and all this other right. stuff. Yep, it just makes it super easy now to create. You know, all this. You know, I don't need to buy the music anymore. It's just I'm just gonna throw all this stuff together and, and come out. You know, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. He's been putting out some playlists on um, on Spotify. They've been great. Really been awesome. nice. I gotta go check those out. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Prince, all of Prince's stuff is now on Spotify too. So just in case is you it really? Know, they released that stuff. All of it, dude. 
Oh. <laughs> yes. See, that's that's why you gotta love Spotify, man. I'm gonna be on there for a while. Yep, yep, yep. So what's new with you, man? So I haven't been doing anything nearly as exciting as you've been. You know what I've been doing? Nothing. <laughs> and I've been been very happy and content doing nothing. And nothing being, you know, I've been working on these these online courses. You know, we're working to try and put together some workshops. You know, obviously we got the consulting gigs that are going on. And, you know, I just had a little bit of downtime and things are... You know, projects are getting completed, things are getting knocked off. And I just had some time to actually sleep and do nothing. And guess what? It was amazing. <laughs> it was some of the best sleep I've had since 2017 has began. <laughs> it was fantastic. So me, my friend, I am enjoying very much doing nothing until until Monday started and now I'm back to doing stuff. But, um, you know, you know, hey, you know, I, I don't think I've had a good night's sleep since 2017 started. Oh man, dude, this is my first one. Last weekend was my first one and it was amazing. <laughs> I was in front of the Xbox, I fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> it was great. You were going back to your teenage days. I'll do it tomorrow, mom. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. No, leave me alone, <laughs> kind of thing. So we have some events coming up, do we not? We do, we do. So we've been talking a lot about South Florida Code Camp. So again, that's happening down here at Fort Lauderdale at Nova Southeastern University on March 11th. So that's a Saturday. You know, free events all day, tons of talks from people from in Florida, out of Florida, .NET, JavaScript, Power BI, IoT, all kinds of really cool stuff. I finally submitted after weeks and weeks of procrastination. <laughs> Richie, you finally submitted too, right? Uh, yes, I believe I'm waitlisted though because I waited too long. Oh, I see now after that, now we got to submit for Orlando Code Camp too. That's going to be happening Which in I April. I have already, but you have not. But I have not. So we're, we're, we're switched around with that. Right? <laughs> yes. So I need to I need to get on that. I'm going to see if we can do that. But yes, yeah, so we have those two events that are coming up. Probably one of my most favorite times of the year to, you know, because I get to travel and I get to go hang out with you and we get to go see our, our friends in Orlando. We get to see the folks that come down for South Florida Code Camp. And it's just good energy all around, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, there, there's one more uh, event coming up that you haven't been to yet, but hopefully this year you'll be good. You're, you're headed to, and that's WordCamp Miami. That's oh, on March right, 24th right. to 26th. That's going to be on the FIU campus. And they do things just a little bit different. They've got like uh, a whole day on Friday of just introduction to WordCamp, to WordPress type stuff. And then right. they have two full days of just sessions and a whole bunch of networking opportunities. Um, on Sunday, they have a whole JavaScript track. So, you know, I'll be hanging out there on Sunday. Nice. And they have they have a kids session as well. So they've got two full days of if you're a kid who's eight through or six through 12 or something like that, if they want to go in and want to learn about how to put up their own website, they have a full day uh, seminar on how to do that. It's nice. Amazing. Very cool. Yeah, definitely want to come down and check it out, man. I mean, you've been going for a couple of years now, right? So... Sure have, dude. It's a lot of fun. Right, right, right. Definitely, definitely got to try and make it down to WordCamp Miami this year. So who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Mr. Charles Maxwood. So Charles is a podcaster, speaker, and the CEO of devchat.tv. He co-hosts the Ruby Rogues, JavaScript Jabber, and Adventures in Angular podcasts. He also puts on a large number of online conferences about various topics of interest to computer programmers. When he's not coding or podcasting, he's reading to his kids watching soccer, or finding new ways to automate parts of his business. He currently lives in Utah with his wife and five kids. 
He's a busy dude, man. You got five babies. He's a babies. busy dude. And I know some of you were saying, like, didn't we hear this conversation last week already? I mean, come on, seriously. But this is part two of our conversation with Charles Maxwood, who goes into deeper on how we started his podcast network and what type of things he does to make his podcast so successful. Right. And it was really fascinating. This was the kind of part that was kind of going to get cut. And I kind of told Cecil, was like, there's a lot of gold here, man. This is a really great conversation. We can't cut this out. So we decided to make this a part two conversation for you. Yeah, sometimes we just got to let the, the recording button go, right? And the conversation was awesome. You know, we're glad to have Charles on. And, you know, we're definitely looking forward for you guys listening to the next half of this episode. This episode is recorded on December 27th, 2016. And now part two of our conversation with Charles Maxwood. And now. Away from the keyboards feature conversation. So you're getting contracts and you're meeting people and you're traveling. Like, could you even imagine that starting a podcast would even open up these type of doors for you? Like, that's crazy, right? No, I just wanted to talk to people about rails. Right. <laughs> and I wanted to go a little bit beyond the local community. I mean, that's all it was. I just like talking about Rails and I thought, oh, cool. Well, I can talk to people about Rails and I can publish it. So now you, you know, you have the, you have this one podcast, right? And you're doing mm-hmm. screencasts also. Mm-hmm. How did you end up with DevChat TV? Because you, you, <laughs> like, we're not talking about one show anymore. We're talking about a lot of different shows, right? Like this is yeah. like six shows, nine job. conferences. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. Like, so how did, how did that happen? Well, in May of 2011, Um, I mentioned James already. He tweeted on Twitter. He said something to the effect of, boy, it would sure be cool if there was a panel discussion podcast for Ruby. And I've been thinking the same thing. I was a big fan of the twit.tv podcasts. And he was a fan of a show. I think it was called something like the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is also a panel discussion podcast. So he thought that the Ruby community could benefit from a show like that. And I'd been thinking that for a while. So I just tweeted right back at him and I said, basically, that's I, I've been thinking the same thing. When do we start? <laughs> and so uh, we started emailing back and forth, started talking about who should be on the show. We started talking about, you know, what would be involved and things like that and what we should talk about. And pretty soon we had a panel, which included he and I, uh, David Brady, who's a local developer here in Utah that I knew because he was local and David knew because, or or James knew because David's crazy and actually accosted him at a conference. (laughs) Nice. Um, And and then we got Aaron Patterson, who is a contributor to both Rails and Ruby core teams and Peter Cooper, who runs Ruby Weekly. He still runs Ruby Weekly and JavaScript Weekly and a bunch of other email lists. So we got those guys on the show and we started bringing on guests. So the first episode, I think we talked about testing. The second episode, we got Brian Ford or Evan Phoenix or somebody to talk about Rubinius, which is a Ruby implementation. Uh, After about 10 episodes, both Aaron and Peter were realizing that they didn't have time to do the podcast every week. And so when they bowed out, we brought in other people that had been on the show already, um, Josh Susser and Avdi Grimm. That was pretty much the panel for like four years. Um, we eventually brought on Katrina Owen as well, and we just added a spot and added her. But yeah, so we started doing that about six months after we started Ruby Rogues, another local programmer who had been involved in the Ruby community. I I don't remember how deeply involved he was, but he had gotten really into JavaScript and wanted to do a JavaScript podcast like Ruby Rogues. So he emailed me and he said, Hey Chuck, 
how do I start a show like Ruby Rogues for JavaScript? And so I tried to coach him through it and eventually just said, do you want me to just do it? And he's like, sure. <laughs> so um, we started JavaScript Jabber. That was Jameson Dance, if you listen to that show. Right. And, you know, so we pulled it together. And interestingly enough, most of the people that we pulled in for that show were local people that we both knew because we're both from Utah. We've spread a little bit further afield. So, uh, you know, we pulled in Tim Caswell, who lives in Texas. Uh, Amy Knight lives in Tennessee, I think. You know, and we've had a few other people, but the majority of our panelists have been from Utah for that show. At the same time, I also, when I went freelance, I joined a Skype group of freelancers, and they gave me a whole bunch of advice, like don't take another contract at $60 an hour. Um, so I got three of them to start a freelancing podcast with me. So then I had three shows. About a year after that, I started basically introducing myself as Chuck from devchat.tv. Uh, DevChat itself, the term came from a friend of mine named Tom Allen. He recently passed away. He's a great guy. He ran the uh, pod camp here in, in Salt Lake for a couple of years until his, his family life and his health wouldn't allow him to anymore. Anyway, he kept talking about the Twitter chat. And he, had, and he wanted to do it and call it DevChat. And then, and, but he never launched it. And so I eventually borrowed the name and uh, decided to call the podcast network DevChat. You know, it was an idea at that point. Like I, I didn't, hadn't executed on it. And so I executed on it probably after I started the iFreak show, which came about a year and a half after the other shows. You have, so you have all these shows, right? Uh-huh. And, and you, you keep accumulating more. Right? <laughs> it's a nasty it's, habit of mine. It's like you have this collection, right? Like I'm collecting, you know, like I collect baseball cards, like you collect podcasts, uh -huh. you know? How do you, how do you balance your time between this, right? Like how does, how do you, because you're, you're working, right? Like you have contracts right. that you're doing. And, yes, at that point uh, I did. Right. At, at that point you're, you're working on contracts and now you have four shows. Like we have one show, we find it hard to manage and you talk about you have four, right? With all these other people, you know, how do you, how do you kind of just make that work throughout the day? Well, uh, one of the things that kind of worked out at that time was that pretty early on in the Ruby Rogues life cycle, I got into hiring a virtual assistant to help me with this stuff, but I went through two or three virtual assistants before I hired Mandy, uh, who was my virtual assistant for about five years, and she handled a lot of that stuff. So she would get people scheduled, or the other co-hosts would get people scheduled for the show, so I didn't have to do a ton of work like getting people to show up. Um, we record at the same time every week for each of the shows. So I know like Tuesdays are my big podcasting day. So today I recorded five episodes, three of which are regularly scheduled episodes. Wow. That's great. And the, the other two are a new project I'm starting for uh, JavaScript Jabber called my JS story. And so I'm essentially talking to people in the JavaScript community about how they got into JavaScript and what they're contributing and stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, right. So anyway, um, but yeah, so that's what we did. And so she would then remind people to come and make sure that we had enough information to prep for the shows and things like that. And so that, that took a lot of that load off. And then she did all of the editing and uh, posting and making sure it went on the RSS feed and all that good stuff. So that worked out. But a lot of the rest of it was just having a system in place and making sure that people knew when to show up on a consistent basis. So while you're, 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 you're carving out time out of your day to do these other shows mm -hmm. like are these and you you know you're producing all this content you have multiple shows that you're putting together you know you you now have this umbrella of dead chat tv 
are these are these things making you money at this point? Because <laughs> you're right. you're spending a lot of time at yeah. this again at, at this point. Uh, you're spending a lot of time during your week to record these shows and work with these different people and whatnot. Like, right. like how do you how do you justify the opportunity cost of the time? So initially, for the first few years, I basically paid for the shows out of my consulting earnings. Okay. So I would earn money on the consulting and I would spend some of it on having it edited and things like that. So yeah, I was I was not making money at it at all. Um, and then I would say about a year and a half ago, the shows at that point were bringing in a little more than they were costing. And so I started looking at things. I started talking to some people. And I also realized that I didn't have time to be a consultant and a podcaster with five shows. Yeah. And so I basically sat down and had to make a choice. And, you know, the pragmatic part of me was going, you cannot make it on podcasts. And the, the rest of me, my heart basically said, you have to find a way to make it on podcasts because I wasn't enjoying consulting anymore um, because I, all I wanted to do was make the podcasts. You know, I enjoyed programming, but programming for clients meant that between the clients and the podcast, I didn't get to see my family and I didn't get to code for fun. Right. And so it was, okay, so what do I do? And so I, I thought a lot about it. I prayed a lot about it. I talked to a whole bunch of people about it. I ran the numbers about six different ways and I figured out that it would be tight and I'd have to change a few things that I was doing. But for the most part, um, I could make a go of it to go full-time on the podcasts. Okay. And so I went for it and I wound up raising the sponsorship prices. I've done that a few times actually in the last year and a half. Basically, you know, I talked to people and, you know, they felt like they were getting a, a killer deal on the sponsorships and I needed more money. So I'd raise the, the prices and then nobody would flinch. And so the next quarter or two, I'd raise the prices again. And eventually I talked to somebody and he said, why aren't you just basing this on the number of downloads you get per episode? And so I did that and that raised the prices for two of the shows, left one about the same and uh, lowered it for the others. Um, but at the same time, it brought the revenue numbers in line to where the, to the point where I could actually, I could pay Mandy for the time that she was spending. And then I could also pay myself a reasonable wage. The only problem I had at that point was that I had gotten behind uh, paying for everything else. And so, you know, it wasn't quite enough to play catch up on all that stuff. And it's, it's getting to that point now where uh, we've, we've caught up a lot this year and we'll probably catch the rest of the way up next year. But yeah, the first, the first three or four years of doing uh, Ruby Rogues, JavaScript Jabber, uh, Freelancer Show, and iFreaks, I wasn't making enough to pay the bills off of the podcast alone. And now I am. Right. So I know we have a lot of people that are, a lot of developers specifically that are listening and they're saying, hey, I want to start a podcast too. And you know, I want to be able to generate some side income or something like that off of it, right? So you know, let's say I'm... Joe, right? And Joe decides, hey, I want to start a new podcast and I want to talk about, you know, let's say I want to talk about Arduinos, right? Because I think Arduinos are really cool and interesting. And, you know, I have a couple of shows in, maybe I'm, let's say I'm 30 shows in, right? You know, I'm mm -hmm. putting out the show once a week. You know, let's say we're up to, I don't know, let's say 2,000 subscriptions, you know, whatever the, whatever the numbers are. How do, how do, how do I as Joe, like Joe the podcaster say, to company X, Y, or Z, like, would you like to sponsor me? Or would you like to sponsor the show? Like, how do you go out and seek sponsorship for your show? 
so this has changed a lot for me over the years. I mean, when we first started Ruby Rogues and some of the other shows, um, the way any of them broke even was I would go out there and they sponsored us completely on charm, right? It was, oh, we love the Ruby community, so we're going to sponsor a podcast about Ruby. Oh, cool. So, so we had a sponsor from day one on Ruby Rogues. Um, it was New Relic. They don't sponsor the show anymore, but they're still a cool company. And they have a great product. Um, but yeah, they just sponsored us because they liked us. Um, they knew who some of our panelists were. Several of their engineers wound up being fans of the show. And so they were happy to give us the business. And that paid for the podcast for the first while. You know, and so you can, you can definitely do that. If, if there's a community out there and the people in the community feel like they are somewhat underserved in the podcast market and there are companies out there that you see at all of the events about that thing. So if there are Arduino conferences, and I'm, I'm sure there are IoT conferences, but you go out there and you, you talk to me and you're like, look, I see you at all these conferences, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I really appreciate the support you're giving to the community. I do this podcast um, and I just need a little help, you know, paying for bandwidth and editing. A lot of times they'll sponsor you for that. Now it's not a side income. It'll, you know, you can probably ask them for more than it costs you to produce your show, but you're not going to make a ton of money off of that. Right, right, right. Um, Just enough to, to cover, you know, again, the cost of producing right. the show. Um, the other way that I've seen people make money off the show, and at 2,000 subscriptions, you could probably make a little money off of this, and that is to go out and set up a Patreon account and then talk about it. I don't love that model simply because in order to get people to go to Patreon and give you money, you have to talk about it a lot. You know, go to Patreon, support the show, support the show, go to Patreon. And, you know, so you have I to beg pretty much like, you gotta yeah, and, and I hate that. So, so that wasn't my style. But for some people, you know, they're out there, they're like, look, you know, I don't want to have to make this feel like a business where I'm out selling sponsorships or out you know, trying to get convince people to buy a product or, you know, you know, donate in other ways. And so that works, right? But but you have to come at it from the standpoint and the ethos of, hey, look, we're doing this because we love you and we love what we do. And we really don't want to have to think about money. So if you give us money, then we won't have to think about it. And then that works. Um, and then I know some shows, but they're the exception. All of them are the exceptions. The, the shows that make it, you know, and can pay their hosts to the point where the, the host can do podcasting full-time. And for me, it's it's across three shows that I'm making enough to go full-time. Um, so I'm not even at the point with one show where it's paying everything. Sure, um, okay. But yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm just trying to set some perspective, right? Because um, people are thinking, oh, well, if he can make it on podcasts, so can I. And it's like, yes, you can, but you have to have a huge audience to do it. Um, and then you have obviously co-hosts too on all of these different shows also, right? Yes. Uh, most of the co-hosts do it just for the exposure. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Um, you know, so they do it because they enjoy the show because they get exposure to the people we bring on and they get exposure to the audience. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, you know, I'm not paying any of my co-hosts, but I'm also trying to pay my own salary on the time I spend running everything for the shows, which has turned out to be a full-time job. So gotcha. So the, the last way to do it, and this is probably the most common and the most reliable way to do it, and that is is that, uh, Joe, your podcast needs a mailing list. And once you have the mailing list, then what you do is you talk to your people on your mailing list and you find out who they are, what they care about, and what they need. And so if they're looking for 
some guide on how to do some fairly common thing with Arduino, you know, home automation or something. I used an Arduino to build a Pinewood Derby track that, so the kids build their Pinewood cars, it goes down the track, and at the bottom of the track, it uses the little number displays to tell you what their times were. <laughs> you know, pretty simple. But uh, yeah, so, you know, just how to do those kinds of things, you know, and, and find the, that thing that people will pay you for. So it could be how to program your Arduino course or, uh, right. you know, some other product, an ebook that talks you through the ins and outs of Arduino. Or I don't know. I mean, it can be anything. You know, you just find out what people are trying to do and where they're getting hung up, and then you make the product for that. And so it can be an hour long video on how to do Arduino, and you just sell it for, you know, $20. But, you know, then you get on the mailing list and you do a launch and you let people know, hey, look, this is available. Hey, look, this will solve your problem. Hey, are you struggling with this? Here's how you get it. Um, and that's by and far the most reliable way to make money. Video courses seem to be really the popular thing these days um, or live courses or some combination thereof where they watch the videos and then you have like a live Q&A session or a Slack channel that you're in a lot or something like that. And so then people get what they need from what they're buying. And the reason that that works is you can charge a higher price on that. And if you have a product that's between 500 to a thousand dollars or maybe even more, then if you have a listener base of 500 to a thousand, you can actually make a full-time living doing that. I know several people who are doing that and you know, they've built up a mailing list that maybe has significantly more people on that. In fact, it's surprising, you know, they have a, uh, they regularly get about 800 downloads on their, podcast, you know, they have 3000 people on their email list because somebody listened to it, came to their website, got on the mailing list. And then the mailing list gets them into the buying sequence. So they're buying the one video on how to do a thing. And then they're buying the series on how to do a couple of things. And then they're buying the video course with the live access, you know, for $700. And, and, you know, you sell 10 of those a month, or, you know, you do a launch and you do one every three months and you make $25,000 a month doing that sale, you know, then then you've got a business that you can actually live on. Right. So it's, it's almost like you're creating a, a circle of, of content production, right? So like mm -hmm. you have the show, right? Or, you know, multiple shows in your case. Yep. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you collect emails and contact information and so forth. And then now you offer these people premium content. Yep. Right. You know, maybe even exclusive premium content, exclusive to the people that are not on your list or, you know, something like that. Maybe give mm -hmm. them discount codes and, you know, s some extra perks, right, to, to be and see the value of being on the list kind of thing. Yep. Cool. So, for example, devchat.tv. Um, I have JavaScript Jabber. JavaScript Jabber gets about 28,000 downloads an episode. So I'm putting together JS Remote Conf in March. Um, I fully expect to sell like three or 400 tickets. Uh, early bird tickets are $150, um, full price tickets are $200. So, you know, you can do the math there. If I sell uh, 400 tickets at $150 a piece, that's $60,000. If that's what I'm aiming for and that's what I think I can get from that list, then, then that's what I do. So um, I have about 4,800 people on the mailing list for JS Remote or for JavaScript, JavaScript Jabber. They get the email that says, hey, there's a new episode every week. That's kind of their exclusive access. You know, and it gives them links to all of the pics and everything on the show, which is what they want. So they get that, and then they also get the launch sequence. Hey, 
we're doing a podcast or we're doing a conference about JavaScript. Come check us out. And then they get three or four emails probably at the end of January this year that say uh, early birds closing. So save yourself $50 and buy a ticket now right before the conference. Again, hey, look, don't miss out because you can come, you can meet all the people in the Slack channel, you can ask the speakers questions, you don't have to pay for a hotel, you don't have to buy yourself meals, you don't have to do anything else. All you have to do is pay for access and then show up and you're gonna get this premium content from people that you've heard on the show. That That's where I'm using that uh, strategy now. Uh, most of the money still comes in off of sponsorships, but I've really buckled down and figured out what it takes to do these conferences. And so yeah, that's my premium product. Is that kind of the reason why you decided to start these remote conferences? Um, you know, again, the ability to provide some more premium content to the people on your mailing list? Uh, no, not really, actually. Um, so I'm a rather impulsive person. <laughs> like starting a podcast was just kind of a, oh, podcasts are cool. I like doing podcasts, or I like listening to podcasts. Right. Um, I'd really like to talk to the kinds of people that these guys are getting on their shows about what I like to talk about. You know, what if it was me talking to them? That would be cool. And so I started them. Um, the remote conferences came out of um, Jared Easley and Dan Franks are, are the guys that started Podcast Movement, uh, which is kind of the big podcasting conference every year. Uh, this year, it's in Anaheim, California in August, the end of August. And uh, last year, it was in or 2016. It was in Chicago. Uh, 2015, it was in Houston. But anyway, they did an online conference. It was Podcasters Business Summit, I think. They had about 30 people attend, which is why I think they didn't do it again because it really didn't it didn't come in for them the way that they wanted it to. But it, it was it was terrific. I really enjoyed it. And I loved the idea so much that I started my own. Just because I wanted the conference. Because I I was like, oh, we should have this for programmers because it's so nice right. to be able to, you know, not travel and still get all of these awesome people to speak. And so I started it because I wanted it, and then it turned out that it was uh, at least a reasonable way of um, helping support the shows and, you know, pay for the stuff that I've got going on around here. Um, because more money means that I can put together more shows, I can pull together more events, and I can do more things for programmers, which is really where my heart is. Um, it also helps, you know, if I'm not behind on my bills and things like that. So, you know, it helps that too. Yeah, that, but, that's, a, that's, a, that's important, right? Yep. But yeah, ultimately it was, hey, this would be a cool thing to do for programmers. And so that's why I started it. Kind of just like how you started collecting podcasts. It kind of feels like you're collecting remote conferences too now, right? Yep. Like you've got a ton of these things. Yep. It's funny talking about collecting uh, podcasts. I actually had a podcaster come to me. He hadn't even started his show yet. He said, I want to do a React Native show. I said, okay, go ahead and start it. He's like, can I host it on devchat.tv? And I said, yeah, if it's good enough. So he did two <laughs> episodes and then sent me the audio. And I said, yeah, you can be on the, <laughs> you can be on the podcast network. So I did collect that one. Um, I, I, awesome. I, I guessed it on it once. And I was uh, just going to yeah. ask you that if you're, you're hosting that one also. Or nope. Not really. Nope. I've been on it once. Um, I'll probably try and talk my way onto it again once I launch my book. Nice. Um, or if I do other products related to like testing JavaScript or GraphQL or something else related to um, React Native. So you got a lot of stuff going on, dude. Like we, we talked about, you know, you starting a podcast. We talked about this, these conferences that you're doing. 
like what are some of the things that you do when you're not working right like like what do you do when you're away from the keyboard oh i'm always working um <laughs> oh my god workaholic <laughs> it's yeah it's it's fun i love what i do so yeah so some of the things i do outside of the programming and podcasting worlds um i am a cub scout den leader oh nice i really enjoy scouting so i have five eight-year-olds that I meet with every week with another leader and we get together and do all kinds of fun stuff. And that's, that's a blast. And then once a month, there's the training for Cub Scout leaders called Roundtable, And I'm actually one of the instructors there. So I help staff Roundtable, and I, I actually do the session for new leaders. So I help them kind of figure out what all the jargon is and what they're supposed to be doing with their boys and how their program's supposed to work and things like that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit of a learning curve, but once you figure out how it all works and why it really pays off and it does great things for those boys. And I absolutely love it. So nice. yeah, scouting's a big thing for me. Um, and then I'm also the vice president of PR for my local Toastmasters club, which is more web stuff to be honest, but <laughs> I, I do it for the club and that's a lot of fun. So I enjoy that and do the public speaking there. I am a moderate fan of Real Salt Lake, which means that if I can get tickets, I'll go, but I don't really watch them on TV. <laughs> nice. That's Major League Soccer. One last thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about was you mentioned a few times that you're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Like what's, what's that about? So to give you a little bit of context on that, uh, what happened was about, what, year and a half, two years ago, I decided that I really did want to talk to the podcast listeners. And so I set up a link and people can still go to it. Listeners to your show, if they want to talk to me for 15 minutes, can go hit it. Um, Go to devchat.tv slash 15 minutes. Um, It takes you to a schedule once page where you can choose a 15 minute uh, slot out of my calendar. And I'll talk to you for 15 minutes about whatever you want. Can I I book two 15 minute sessions in a row? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) The, yeah, it's, it's just my way of saying, hey, look, I really want to know who you are and you know what you care about. Well, I had a whole bunch of people get on, and it turned out that about 75% of them were new programmers. So they were either self-taught, or they were going through a boot camp, or they were going through like Khan Academy or Code School or something. Then they got to the point where they were like, well, I think I'm good enough at this to where I want to get a job doing it. So they'd go out there, and they'd start applying to jobs, and they'd send out hundreds and hundreds of resumes, and they wouldn't get any interviews. Or if they did get an interview, they'd show up for the interview, they'd do the interview, and then they'd never get called back. And so they're like, how do I find a job? And this was a problem that came up over and over and over and over again. I mean, even the people that went through boot camps, and you'd think the boot camps would teach them, here's how you find a job. Here are some of the people around us who are hiring, and we're going to introduce you to them. And I found that a lot of even the boot camps don't do a great job of that. Some of them do, most of them don't. So they'll teach you to code. They'll take your 12 grand or whatever to be in the boot camp for six months or three months. And then when you're done, then you're out there looking for a job for another three to six months before you find anything. And that's if you're dedicated and keep up on things. Right. Okay. So I had people keep asking me that. And I was like, you know what? I was like, finding a programmer job is not as hard as it is for these people. It shouldn't be because there are companies out there looking for programmers. They call me all the time too, but they're asking, how do I find a senior developer? And I say, you train one, right? If you can't find one, you have to train one. And eventually they get desperate enough to find, just, you know, hire somebody that's a little bit greener or newer, and then they wind up training them. But then the junior developers don't know how to 
be in a position to be that junior person that they pick up. And so my book goes into, hey, look, um, here's how a job or a hiring process usually works. And here are kind of the chinks in the armor. And here are the ways to have what they're looking for so that they'll hire you. And so a lot of it is about um, how do you be the right person. And a lot of it is about how do you get noticed once you're the right person. And so, you know, it can be contributing to open source gets you noticed. It also will level you up. You know, going to the users group meetings is another one. We talked about that earlier. I mean, it's a, it's a big thing when you go to the users group meeting um, and you participate. You ask insightful questions or you present. I mean, even if you present on something basic, you know, you go to the organizer and you say, look, um, I'm new, but I understand how to manipulate strings in Ruby. So can I do a presentation on how to manipulate strings in Ruby? And the a lot of these groups have several new people, and they're happy to have a topic that is approachable and consumable by new people. And so you get up there, you present, you put on a good showing, and then a potential employer looks at you and says, you know, they're pretty sharp. I think we could probably bring them up to speed in a month or two, and then they'd be contributing just like everybody else. Writing a blog is another great one. I'm giving away all of my secrets on your show. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, that's fine. But, but I mean, all of these things contribute to you getting noticed. And then the rest of it is you know, build a couple of projects. And not just simple projects, but projects that are going to make you stretch a little bit and really yeah. demonstrate what you can do. And that puts you in a position where then um, potential employer gets your resume, sees, you know, I've got these couple of uh, projects on GitHub. And these are the other ways I'm contributing to the community. And I just graduated from the boot camp. That looks a whole lot better than the please, please hire me because I just graduated from a boot camp and I have no idea what to say to you. You know, I think that's a lot of good advice because kind of like what you said, I mean, a lot of people just don't know what to do afterwards. Yeah. You know, and, and also too, in terms of going to conferences and even writing blog posts, yep. I mean, I find a lot of newer developers are just, well, even, you know, even more experienced developers are just kind of, have that fear of putting themselves out there that yeah. publicly, right? Because, you know, they're, they're, there's a fear of looking inexperienced or, you know, gonna, you know, just kind of just not living up to where they think that type of content should be, yep. you know? Um, and I, you know, it's, you made a very good point that there's, there's space for everybody, right? Experienced, a little bit less experienced, you know, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, you know, right? and you're kind of transitioning into, you know, maybe a different language or a different technology or whatever the case is right like there's space for everybody to kind of you know grab a piece of the pie kind of thing and and, and kind of show what they you know show what they can do yeah I'll, I'll just add two things to that one is is that these companies they say they're looking for a senior developer but that's not the truth what they're looking for is they're looking for somebody that they're comfortable will be able to come and solve the problems in a reasonable amount of time for a reasonable pay yeah so if you can prove that they will hire you the second thing that I'm going to put out there is that going out there on the job boards and shotgunning your resume all over the place is not going to do you any good. And the reason is, is because they're going to put your resume in the pile with the few hundred others that they got. Um, they may phone screen to try and figure out who the best ones are. And the second you start your conversation with, well, I'm new, you're done. So yeah. it doesn't do you any good. Um, what I tell people to do is to go out there, you find the company that you want to work for that's hired people like you you know, at your experience level, you know, whatever, whatever other demographics in the job market that matter to you, if they've hired somebody that, that looks a lot like you at an experience level and things like that, they're more likely to hire you. Um, but even so, 
if you find a company that's a terrific place to work, then do whatever it takes to get noticed by that company. If they have an open source system or an API, write a system that uses the open source system or API. Go up to their office and sit in the lobby around lunchtime. And when the group of folks that looks like the programmers walking out to lunch are walking out to lunch, you get up, you walk over and you say, hey, I'm a new programmer and I'm looking for the programmers at this company just to get an idea of what it's like to work here. And if they say, well, we're them, then you say, can I come with you to lunch? And all of a sudden, you're one of the folks, you know, you're one of the guys or one of the girls or one of the whoever that's going to lunch instead of uh, that noob, <laughs> you know, that right. sent the resume in that we don't know anything about. And so right. it's, it's these kinds of things where you show up to the users groups that the hiring manager goes to or that the other engineers go to and you get to know them. All of a sudden what happens is, is then they start talking about that job opening. You know, you go ask them because if they're hiring somebody, they probably have an empty desk. And you can say, look, I just graduated from the boot camp. I want to know what it's like to be in an office where people are at. You go sit at the desk. I mean, all of these things, they get used to having you around. They know who you are. They know what you're capable of. And the next time somebody goes, oh, we could really just use another pair of capable hands. They go, well, that guy's right here. He seems to, you know, have his stuff together. And so then, then they at least start talking about it. But, you know, you're way more likely to get hired if you're already within the circle, then if you're trying to break in by sending them a piece of paper that says you're good at what you do. Do you have any, any advice or, you know, any, any words for, you know, our listeners that are, are, are tuning into the show now, you know, for people that are maybe interested in getting into podcasts or people that are interested in, and probably even just kind of, you know, finding out what you've been up to and, you know, where could they learn about your different shows and, and some of that type of stuff? Yeah, so um, I'll answer the second question first. Everything that I have and do is at devchat.tv. Um, so the podcasts are there, conferences are there. Um, I'm working on pulling together some webinars uh, for both new people and experienced people on a variety of topics. So all that's there, devchat.tv. If you look at the menu at the top, there's conferences. I think there's webinars there. You know, you can check out the about page. You can donate money. I think there is a donation page there. But yeah, I mean, that, that's where all of that is. Um, as I work on these courses and books, you know, there'll be another link up there for that. So just go to devchat.tv and check it out. devchat.tv slash conferences, the conferences, devchat.tv slash webinars is the webinars. But yeah, that, that, that's it. Um, as far as people getting into podcasting or wanting to understand what I do and how I do it and things like that, um, you know, there, there's a lot there. But ultimately... I'll just give a couple of words of advice as far as starting a podcast. And that is, is start a podcast that you want. Start the podcast that you would want to listen to. And, and do it on something that you just can't shut up about. I mean, for me, it was Ruby on Rails when I got started. And right, now, right, right. You know, now I talk about Ruby and JavaScript and um, Angular because I'm excited about those topics. And right, I backed okay. out of the freelancer show because I wasn't jazzed about it for one. I love talking to those guys. But the other thing was, it was that I felt like I could make a difference somewhere else. And that's why I do it now is because I feel like I can make a difference. And so I right. stuck with the shows where I felt like I had more impact. Um, and iFreak show, I, I backed out of that one because I don't actually do iOS development. I wanted to learn, which is why I started it, but I just never got around to learning it. So um, pick something you love. Pick something that you could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Um, I, I know somebody that did a show, I think it's called like All About Wooden Boats. I mean, seriously, it could be about anything. About what? You said wooden boats? Wooden boats. 
Oh, okay. Okay, so if that's your thing, do it. Model trains, go for it. Video games, you know. And it doesn't matter if there are a ton of other people out there talking about it, because the people that identify with you and like what you like and are interested in what you're interested in, they'll pick it up and they'll listen to it. Um, sure. The other thing is, is that um, you don't need like super awesome equipment to do this. I, you know, people see my rig and they get all intimidated. Um, I know people who do the podcast by plugging their um, Apple earbuds into their iPhone and using an app called Boss Jock Studio and walking around the neighborhood and talking, and that's their show. And it comes out great. So, you know, you don't need a fancy setup to do it either. And finally, the last thing is, is that um, I shared a number of my most popular show when I said 28,000 listeners, okay, or 28,000 downloads per episode. That is an extraordinary number for a podcast. If you start a podcast and you have 50 people listening to it, you are doing well. If you have 200 people listening to it, you are doing very well. If you get more than 500, you are elite, okay? So don't look at those numbers and because because I've been to podcast movement for a couple of years. I talk to people, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, um, like one of the shows, um, iFreaks, you know, I was like, well, I'm thinking about bowing out because I don't really contribute a ton to the show because I'm not an iOS developer. And it's my least ep- listened to show, which is not anymore. Freelancer show actually is. But, um, yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, maybe you should think about that. Well, how many listeners do you have? And I'd say, well, the show gets about 3,000 downloads per month. Now it's at 4,000. But their jaws would hit the floor. You're going to quit a show that gets 3,000 downloads per episode? Because that was mind-bogglingly insane to them because they were getting 250 an episode or 50 an episode. And they showed up because they wanted to learn how to grow their audience or learn how to, you know, do different things with their show. And so, yeah, don't look at it and think, I only have 50 people. I'm a failure. I've been to conferences where the larger conference rooms held 50 people. And I'll tell you, it's a lot of people. So don't discount it. You know, go out there, talk about what you want to talk about. Um, If you're connecting with people, which is the big thing, you're making a difference. And uh, yeah, you don't need fancy equipment. All you need is a website, an RSS feed, which if you don't know what that is, um, set up WordPress and WordPress makes one for you. Um, You have to submit it to iTunes, which is a form. You tell it where um, where the RSS feed is and the rest of it is just putting the files on the internet and than telling the RSS feed where to get them, which, like I said, WordPress will do that for you. So, I mean, you can set up a podcast website in 10 minutes with WordPress, and then, you know, you can record your first episode or two or three in a half hour, you know, make it a 10 minutes per episode or something, um, or longer if that's what your deal is. But yeah, it's not sophisticated, it's not that hard, and it gets you started. And then once you start connecting with people and you feel like, okay, I'm ready to invest a little more in this, then you can start getting the more fancy equipment or you can upgrade your website and, you know, have it hosted on somewhere that's a little faster or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, you can start it out for not a lot of money and, you know, and just do it because you love it. And then if it turns out to be a moneymaker later, then perfect. I will also point out that if you're going to start a podcast, do set up a mailing list. You can go to MailChimp. You can set it up for free. Let people subscribe. Email them every month and let them know what you're doing. And just connect with those people. Because those connections are the really the thing that's going to pay off either in sales or sponsorships or in just the overall fun you have making a podcast. 
We'd like to thank Charles for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes a take, sign up to our newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we have CEO and co-founder of Jewelbots, Sarah J. Chips. It's another great conversation. We'll see you then. want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego! So who are we talk to today? I don't know. Who are we talking to? I'm kidding. <laughs> so, t- <laughs> so who are we talking to today? So today we're talking to Mr. Charles Maxwood.